Hi there, folks, and welcome. Welcome back to NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Zivna Kajimam, again. And this podcast is brought to you, among others, by Native Shark, which is an online platform for learning Japanese. And what Native Shark do is they make learning Japanese really, really simple. So you just show up, click a button that says study now, and the platform will then show you exactly what you need to learn next based on your progression. Now, this may sound simple, and in practice it is, but the way it's designed means that students who use Native Shark once a day for four to five months can complete the equivalent of over two years of university study. And what they're also unique in is that they teach all of the types of Japanese that you wouldn't normally get in traditional schools or textbooks. And if you've ever studied with one of the more common textbooks that foreigners usually pick up, you've probably noticed that there are a lot of sentences or conversations in there that you'd never really hear in real life, and vice versa. Some of the stuff you actually hear when you're out and about in Japan is never really covered in these traditional textbooks. So this isn't the case with Native Shark. It's very well grounded in everyday spoken Japanese, whether it's casual or formal language. And you can really expect, like one of the students writes in their reviews, you can really expect to be picking up the sort of little nuances that no one would expect a non-native speaker to use. And that's pretty rare for most Japanese courses. So yeah, really, really useful platform. And since you've heard about it here on the podcast, you also get an extra little bonus. If you sign up using the URL nativeshark.com forward slash NTI, we'll link to it in this episode's show notes. That's native without an E, so N-A-T-I-V shark, all one word, dot com forward slash N-T-I. Use that link to sign up and you'll get a double length free trial. So two weeks free instead of the one. And you can sign up for that free trial without having to put any uh, credit card or anything of the sort in there. So give it a go. You won't regret it. So now for today's episode, this one's a featured interview from our other podcast, Japan Property and Business News, which is hosted by our sales and marketing manager, Pretty Donnelly. And if you still haven't signed up for that one, you really should. In it, Pretty regularly discusses Japanese business and property news items, market trends and other current affairs and topics of interest. And on this particular episode, she and Matt Ketchum, uh, co-founder of Aki and Inaka, discussed the topic of Japan's abandoned or vacant homes. That's what Akia in particular uh, means. And they're talking mainly about the ones located in the Japanese countryside, which is what Inaka means. Now, this topic has been trending for a good few years now with plenty of articles and stories about it in international media channels. And these are all focused mainly on how affordable these properties are and how they're, in many cases, practically given away. Now, of course, this isn't entirely accurate, as popular mainstream media pieces tend to be. And even though there is some truth to it, these pieces also need to be taken with a grain of salt. And Matt's company is probably the best resource out there for non-Japanese who want to educate themselves on and potentially become active in that particular market segment. So Pretty and Matt talk about the Akia phenomena and some of the reasons behind it, whether these properties uh, that are being given away for a song are actually too good to be true, where and how people can get their hands on these properties, what they should be looking at, and, and also many general topics related to that. So the pros and cons of country versus city life in Japan and much, much more. And also about goats towards the end there. So if you're into goats, you really want to listen all the way through. Now, they've had a few connection issues uh, along the way, so there are a few glitches here and there and the minute or two that's been cut out, which you'll probably notice, but that doesn't really disrupt the flow of the conversation, so nothing too serious. 
And if you'd like to see them as they speak, this interview is also available on our YouTube channel and we'll link to it as well as to Akia and Inaka websites and other ways for you to contact Matt if you wish. That'll all be in this episode's show notes. So enjoy and I shall see you again on the other side. So hello and welcome to NTI's Japan Business and Property News podcast. I'm Pretty Donnelly, Sales and Marketing Manager at Nippon Tradings International. Our topic of interest today is abandoned properties in Japan, also known as Akia. Uh, with us today is Matt Ketchum, co-founder of Akia and Inaka, a Japanese company specializing in helping foreigners purchase abandoned or semi-abandoned homes in Japan. Hello, Matt. I hope I pronounced that, not your name, but Akia, the right way. <laughs> you got the name right, yeah. Yeah, you got both <laughs> names right. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Oh, it's great to have you on the show. So um, let's talk about a little bit about yourself. Could you tell me how, I understand you have a bit of an extensive journey to Japan, what you do and how that came to be. Um, yeah, that's a good question. So my kind of my professional background is in a good bit of IT as well as NGOs um, and kind of business, uh, what would you call it, business development, organization, optimization, things like that. Um, you know, I've been doing that for, I guess, I'm 34, by the way. So my professional career is now, I guess, maybe a decade old. Um, so yeah, I've been doing that, but, and that's kind of, you know, during the day, a weekday kind of thing. Uh, the reason that I'm here though, it really goes back to almost exactly 20 years ago when I was 14 and, uh, I'm, I'm from the U S in Pittsburgh and th this is totally relevant. I'm just going to preface, but it might sound like it's not, <laughs> um, a lot of independent Japanese bands, uh, started coming through my hometown when I was in high school only for uh, about three years and it was every summer vacation. And I knew nothing about Japan. I had no interest in anime or anything like that. Um, but I started going to concerts and stuff when I was about 13 or 14. And these bands kept coming through and were absolutely phenomenal, but I couldn't communicate at all with them. And so that's kind of how I made the decision to start studying Japanese. And, you know, that kind of took me through, you know, most of my, uh, my educational career. And so that's kind of how I'm here. And then also I mentioned, so going back, back to uh, kind of professionalism and stuff like that. So during the day on the weekdays and stuff, a lot of IT, a lot of NGOs and things, but I'm also a musician uh, and I run another company that's based out of Olympia, Washington called Call. Well, the parent organization is U235 LLC, uh, but we do business as Kala, K-A-A-L-A here in Japan, um, which works with the works extensively with um, Japan's underground independent music scene. Um, we we have a tourism uh, element to it. We've done data with one data science uh, on kind of the physical communities that operate here. Uh, we do design, we do booking, uh, tour management, and stuff like that. Um, and so. Yeah, that's sort of in a nutshell, anyway, uh, <laughs> my, my journey here, I guess, and what I do. How in the world have you been able to, I'm just wondering, how in the world with COVID have you been able to stay home when you've got all of that on your plate? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. I mean, so with Aki and Inaka, 
um, kind of going to the subject of today's conversation. Uh, so Akio, as he said, is the name of abandoned. I kind of like to call them vacant houses, sounds nicer. Um, but either way, you know, nobody is living there. Um, Akio is the word for the houses themselves. Uh, but then Inako is the word for countryside, right? Um, and the nice thing about countryside during a global pandemic is that nobody's there, which means you've got considerably less risk of any kind of uh, transmission vectors or things like that. Um, so while certainly, you know, there's a good bit of staying home and, you know, isolation and all of these things, uh, it is also possible with, you know, kind of responsible and uh, personal transportation to travel around a good bit. And if you look at our YouTube channel, and you'll see that we're out in the sticks quite a bit. Um, so, you know, it's it's not impossible, but there's certainly uh, a good bit of consideration, let's say, that kind of goes into planning our physical movements. It actually sounds like this is the perfect time to talk about abandoned homes, um, given that we are in the middle of a pandemic and there are a fair amount of people that are looking for getting away from the city and moving more toward not necessarily abandoned homes, but the countryside. And, right, right. Um, and it just so happens that these abandoned homes are found in the countryside. Now, the Japanese government says that as of 2013, there have been more than 8 million abandoned homes in rural Japan. Can you tell me why and how this all came about? I, I can hint at it. I can pick away at the question. Um, of course, it's an incredibly convoluted and complex issue. Um, so I, I'll be the first to say that, you know, I can't 100% identify all of it um, or the reasons for it. Uh, but there's, so one thing I think maybe most important to us and what we do is that there is, there, there's a pretty strong metro area and specifically Tokyo area, like cultural narrative, let's say, which boiled down more or less states. If you're in Tokyo, you made it. If you're anywhere else, you're nobody. Why would you ever want to go anywhere but Tokyo, right? And so there's the, and Tokyo is a great city, don't get me wrong, I'm not, you know, kind of dissing it or anything like that, but it does have immense cultural, financial, business, gravitational pull, right? Mm -hmm. And, so, and especially for the younger generations, my, my generation included, um, really the, the main thrust of like anybody's life trajectory is, okay, if you're born in Tokyo, great, stay there. If you're not born in Tokyo, get to Tokyo, right? And so this factors into, you know, the grain population issue um, that has been reported on for however many years now in Japan as well. Um, so there's that, uh, like that, that, that's kind of our main thing, right? And so a big part of our, I wouldn't say tangential business, but a part of our, you know, our MO is kind of wrangling that narrative back from just Tokyo and saying, oh, okay, like, if you want to do Tokyo? Great, awesome, fine, totally opportunity there. If you want to do that? Good on you. But there's also things out here um, that, and we're not even talking about, you know, things that are eight hours out of the city. You know, if you want to get a place an hour out of the city or 45 Minutes. So I live 45 minutes by bullet train out of the city, right? Um, so yeah, the the reason for it though um, is multitudinous, but a major one is that there's this cultural narrative that just says you better be in Tokyo, right? So this is it. it almost sounds like it's 
it's polarized. It's the complete opposite Extreme. of what is what one would want in Tokyo. Extremely, extremely, you know, and I mean, that's not to say that, you know, Tokyo is great. And like, actually, the countryside is super great. Like there are totally issues that, you know, there's, there's cultural issues, there's uh, geographic, like, for example, I live on top of a mountain, it's got a bad hip or something like that might not suit you very well. Um, there, there are things to consider, right? But there are also opportunities out there. And it's merely a matter of kind of digging through, um, you know, the data and, you know, kind of the experiences that are available around the country. And it's not the case that, you know, anywhere in rural Japan, it's all the same. No, they're totally different. It's an entire country, like <laughs> cities and neighborhoods and stuff. They all have unique cultures, right? So it's it's really a matter of just kind of spending the time and having the resources to identify the things that may suit your kind of your personal needs and wants. One thing that's very unique to Japan is the um, the market itself very different from Canada where I am, the US, London, where most people buy real estate um, for speculative purposes, you know, hoping to obtain right. capital growth. In Japan, properties depreciate. So you're not really looking for capital growth, you're looking more for the rental income. Right. But what I'm wondering is, a property generally would depreciate in about 25 years in Japan. I mean, at that point, it would be fully depreciated, yeah. if I'm correct. Yeah. So that would mean then that a person is really paying for land price, if we're talking about these abandoned properties in um, the countryside. They're not paying for the structure. They're paying for right. the land. Is this one of the reasons why these properties would be so inexpensive? And, and how much actually are they? Uh, yeah, that's a huge factor in it. The, I mean, basically, you're buying, yeah, like you said, the land. And in fact, we've, we've heard cra crazy, uh, you know, not firsthand, but kind of anecdotal stories about somebody buying land with a structure on it that they, that they wanted. And because sort of the um, kind of the, the standard practice is just assuming, oh, you're buying the land, you don't want this house, like you're going to demolish it. And so apparently this couple bought some land with a house that they wanted on it. And then they came back the next day and it was totally gone because the contractor just assumed, you don't want the house, so we demolished it for you. Oh. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, no, what did you do? Whether or not that's true, I wasn't there, can't say, but I think it's kind of a funny story anyway. Um, but yeah, you're you're basically buying the land. You know, not a hundred percent, but probably somewhere between eighty and a hundred percent of the, uh, or I'm sorry, up to eighty percent of the purchase price is, is attributable to the land value. Um, the cost varies out just incredibly widely. Um, for example, there. So I'm in Kanagawa Prefecture right now, which is kind of west and south. Of Tokyo, and then on the other side of Tokyo is Chiba Prefecture. You sort of got two, and then there's Tokyo Bay right here. So Kanagawa would be here, and Chiba's over here. And on the tip of um, Chiba, uh, this is a little bit ago, um, and since has sold. But there was this something. I'm kind of a outdoors person, and you know, just have a cabin in the woods and all that sort of stuff. Um, this is kind of my my uh, what I'm interested in, and I found a spot just looking personally. 
$6,000, um, this one room cabin, you know, kind of Thoreau-esque Walden kind of spot on top of a mountain on the end of the Chiba Peninsula, kind of overlooking the ocean, um, really beautiful. You know, not at all palatial, not, you know, some, you know, extreme awesome, I mean, it's a cabin in woods, right? <laughs> but it can't, I think, you know, the plot was, five or 600 square meters the house or the cabinet itself was i think 150 200 something like that it was going for six thousand dollars right we also are currently working with one client on um looking in the yamanashi area which is north of mount fuji um which is kind of nearby uh and their budget is in between 80 or i'm sorry 60 and 85 million yen which is about 600 to 850,000 right us so you can get mega cheap ones like really 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 cheap ones and you can also get rather expensive well comparatively um rather expensive ones but i mean the thing is the spots that we're looking for this larger budget and this higher budget those those are you know kind of mini hotels with gargantuan land plots and you know multiple stories and hot springs and i mean kind of the works and japanese yeah. gardens and all of this stuff so yeah, like 850,000 US is nothing to kind of scoff at, but at the same time, what you get for that amount of money here versus what you get in, you know, California or whatever is considerably oh, for better. for sure. Yeah. Affordable and something for everybody. Yeah, really. And again, I mean, it, it really goes back to um, the data and being able to dig through it. Right. Right now, it's exceed like one of our sort of our, our base service with clients is, is just working through the data, figuring out, OK, what do you, you want? Right. You need to, you know, where do you want it? How much what's your budget? How many stories? How old? This, that and the other thing. And then going out there and being able to find it. And right now, the data is so poorly governed and fractured that mm -hmm. an individual can do it. It's not impossible, not at all. Right. But it will take you a lot of time and you will be very frustrated, almost guaranteed during that to go through that. And would it be in English or in Japanese, that data? No, 100% Japanese. In Japanese. So, I mean, that, and that poses another problem really for foreigners as well. Right, right, right. So if they were to, if somebody wanted to do the renovations to these properties, how much would that cost, do you think? It also varies widely, but if we're talking about kind of your, I guess what I'd call a standard fixer-upper, I'd say if you, and generally what we advise our clients on as well is, it all depends on the situation, but if you budget between five and 10 million yen, which is between 50 and 100,000 US, mm -hmm. you know, give or take, um, you'll probably be in the safe zone. Again, it totally depends on circumstances, but if you've got that back in you, you'll probably have a pretty good time. So, I mean, whether you purchase a new property mm -hmm. or you purchase an abandoned home and then do the renovations, it could, in fact, come out to be almost the same thing. I mean, it could. That's not impossible. Um, but I would be kind of surprised if an abandoned property ended up, including renovations, ended up being as expensive as a new one. Okay. Uh, yeah. I would be. And let me also say that these, and actually there, there's also a, what I think is an immensely interesting linguistic element to all of this, right? And so you 
this kind of lexicon for is abandoned properties, right? right? Which immediately kind of colors your perception of, oh, an abandoned, okay, it's probably got ghosts and I bet there's some rats, probably some really big spiders in the corner and dead bodies or, or mm -hmm. something like that, right? Those, minus the dead bodies, uh, those derelict, um, dilapidated structures absolutely exist, right? In fact, okay. we sell those sometimes. They're frequently the clients who are interested in that have already gone through the process, either in North America or here in Japan, of renovating a property. And, you know, they kind of like doing it. They got some money to burn, this, that, and the other thing. But that's not everybody's cup of tea. In fact, that's most not most people's cup of tea, right? Most people want to buy something and move in with relative ease. Those totally exist too. And this is, again, going back to kind of that narrative uh, that I was talking about previously is the narrative on Archaea is they're all dilapidated dumpster fires. <laughs> and that's not the case, right? Um, we recently sold a property up in Nagano Prefecture, which is very well known for kind of skiing and skiing. winter sports and stuff. Mm -hmm where the was that the 97 winter olympics um were held and we closed on i think it was a thursday and they moved in on the following saturday right and i mean this one came with the beds and kitchen utensils and tvs like literally you didn't need to buy anything you just buy the house and then you're good to go right so that's more um, like a semi that would be more like a semi-abandoned Right. Or what I would, what I tend to call like vacant. Right. And so the reason for this, and these are also very, very common. And the reason mm -hmm. for this is that, um, so there was the bubble period in Japan, right? Everybody kind of made their money between 1980 and let's say 1992 mm -hmm. or so. And then they sort of wrote it out. And then around 2000, those people who made considerable cash, they're about 60 or so years old and they're starting to retire and they're picking up you know vacation homes or second homes or you know financial investments things like that and you know they kind of live out their silver years in these nice places that they bought but now they're between 80 and 85 some of them have entered care homes some of them some of them have died and you know their children or something have inherited it um but you know somebody's coming in once a week to clean the place up they're going up once a year again as a vacation house or something like that but by and large, it's just lying on, it's lying vacant, right? Um, and all, most, if not all of those owners are indeed looking to sell. In fact, right before um, we started this call, I was, I was emailing a um, municipal government representative out again in Chiba Prefecture about a property that fits this description uh, out there. Um, so again, there's all kinds of stuff. Like if you want a terrifying haunted house bowling alley, I can get you that. Hmm. There's one up in Toji. It's really cool, right? <laughs> but it, that's, yeah, that's not most people's <laughs> cup of tea. If you want, you know, a cabin in the woods that is nice and you don't really need to spend too much on fixing it up, also totally cool. And all of these could be rented out, say, like a person could buy them and then use them as an Airbnb short-term right. rental. Right. Um, they don't necessarily have to live in them themselves so no there's there's issues there's issues with registration you know is it a business okay. is it a primary residence is it a secondary residence so there's things to figure out um mm -hmm. regarding that but mm -hmm. it's totally doable it's just a matter of you know going through the correct process so i mean even if um a property was particularly inexpensive because it had a dead body or something if a person wasn't 
particularly concerned about themselves living in it, they could always renovate it and then rent it out? Oh, yeah, totally. Uh, I would, that's, let's see. So not to get morose, but <laughs> you did mention dead bodies. <laughs> there is a, if there's been a death in a property, real estate agents are required to inform by a buyer of that death. But once it's been purchased once, that gets wiped, right? So it doesn't, it kind of doesn't, it doesn't stick with you. It's not a curse. <laughs> right, right. Um, I don't actually know what the protocol, if any, would be for, let's say you purchase a property immediately after, you know, there's, there's a death in it. I don't know if that renter, the owner, in order to rent out would be required to inform a short-term tenants. That's, huh, I'd have to look into that. It's possible. I'm guessing not a requirement, but I haven't thought about that. Well, I mean, if they would have to do that for one, then they would have to do that for every tenant that came along, wouldn't they? Presumably. Yeah. Yeah. So it'd be interesting to know something to look into, I suppose. I mean, there's actually, there's a website. It hasn't been updated since I believe 2016, but just as Aki and Inaka works with all abandoned houses, basically nationwide, there's actually, I forget what it's called, um, but it specifically works with the properties that have had a death in them and have been oh. kind of branded with a scarlet letter. Okay, uh, yeah. <laughs> what was that? Yeah, so it looked like cheap dead body apartments or something like that. <laughs> For now. I'm also wondering about the soil. So let's say, okay, renovations is one thing, but then it's the property is dilapidated. It has to be torn down. How would a buyer know that the soil is safe to build on? Simple, conduct surveys, surveys and inspections, which are exceedingly cheap. It's about $500 um, with the, the architects that we work with. It's usually around $500 to get them okay. to go in inspect the land itself, but then also inspect the structure. Because mm-hmm. um, another thing that we find that happens, in fact, we've kind of internally, we've worked with clients who have identified a house or a property that they're interested in. And we've kind of looked at it and been like, really that one? Like, okay, if, if that's what you want, can't mm-hmm. argue with mm-hmm. that, but like, geez, man, that can't be good. And we get the survey conducted and Every single time, what ends up happening is the our architect comes back and says, "Oh yeah, it it needs like considerable. You know, there's there's mold. You got to take care of that. There's rot. There's this, that, and the other. But the structure itself, the the quality of the actual the bones of it yeah. are totally solid. It it needs some serious care. But so far as the building not being viable, that's simply not the case. But yeah, you'll probably have to spend a hundred thousand dollars in fixing it." So $100,000 approximately to fix it. But then if we look at... Again, let me me rescind that number because, like I said previously, it is very, very, very circumstantial. Um, But that being said, if it is in that bad condition, like, yeah, you could spend that. (laughs) I mean, so is that more like the worst case scenario? Probably Probably around there, right? I, I... 
Yeah. And unless here's the other thing too, like, unless you're kind of just a really hardcore hobbyist who loves renovating houses that nobody in their right mind would actually buy and renovate. Personally speaking, I kind of like, okay, if you want to do it, that's fine. But like, kind of why bother, you know? And I mean, that, that's another of really viable, very good properties out there, but I'd say probably 70 to 80% or so are indeed garbage that deserve being demolished. It's not that all of these are great. It's that, well, there's 8 million at least, and the data is really bad. So it's very, very difficult to determine which is good and which is bad. So nobody touches it. Mm -hmm. But if you start digging into it, right, and you have those, that kind of intelligence, then you can start making judgment calls on, oh, actually, this one's great. And, oh, all of these over here, no way. And, and so you had mentioned that there are times when you know, buyers saying that this is the one I want. And you're looking at it going, that one, like, why would you want that one? What are some of the, um, what are some of the things that they see that attracts them to these properties? And some of the things that you see that are clear caveats of stay away from this property? Let me answer that second part first. And that is, it looks like trash. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Or if not trash, then just like a whole lot of work. And I, I mean, I myself, I, I love fixing things up, right? But I do have mm-hmm. a limit, you know? Okay, yeah. Um, so far as the client is concerned, generally speaking, it's two things, right? Number one, uh, it's location. And isn't there a saying in real estate of like, it's location, 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 location. and location, mm-hmm. some kind of thing. Um, and so that plays a huge role. Uh, additionally, and to kind of extrapolate on that, it's not just the... Um, kind of the vistas and the views and, you know, beachside or whatever. It's, mm-hmm. it's the community. And this is another thing that we really try to focus on is we're not just trying to sell you a place to live or vacate or whatever. Like this is world Japan tends to be pretty clicky too. Right. And if you go in there and just say, all right, I'm going to be this individualistic, like not going to talk to anybody. I'm just that person. Mm-hmm. Probably not going to have a good time. Those communities do exist. Um, but generally speaking, you're, you're moving there to be part of something, right? And so the location element isn't just, oh, it's a desirable area or, oh my God, look at these mountains. They're beautiful. It's, mm-hmm. oh, wow, I found like there's this artist commune down the road or, you know, that restaurant over there. Oh my God, they have the best of soba. Or, I mean, it's, it's a matter of determining a place that, a place that you want to be, not just a house, mm-hmm. right? So that's, that's a very big factor in it. Um, and another one is the, uh, what would you call it? The, um, of course, I'm blanking on the word that I'm looking for. Uh, the, the, uh, the patina, the, uh, the character of the property, right? Um, a lot of the time, and this also factors into kind of the narrative thing that I keep going back to. There's a lot of reports about Japanese architecture is awesome and, yeah. super, and all the stuff. And certainly there are good examples of that. But come to Tokyo and go to a residential mm-hmm. district and tell me what you think then, because mm-hmm. they're all boxes and they all look the same, right? They're not interesting at all. Mm-hmm. Um, these properties that we tend to work with are older. Um, style, um, which is very unique, uh, which is very, um, 
if you want to say artistic, I suppose you can do that. Um, but again, it's got character to it, right? And so our clients by and large are looking for both character in the property itself and character in the community that the property exists in. Those I would say, like if, if, if we, or if anybody, but if we can find that for our client, it's almost a guaranteed sale. And they may also, like you mentioned, um, Nagano, where the ski area, is, the people go there for who are ski um, aficionados mostly, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, they may be interested in purchasing these kinds of properties because people would be, they'd be much more easy to rent out um, yes. like an Airbnb is what I'm thinking. So that might right, be another right. reason. But um, yeah. how much can a person generate by way of rental income from these properties? Oh, once they're done, I, I keep I keep saying this. So sorry if it sounds like a, it's a cop out or something, but it is largely circumstantial. Um, that being said, for like we're not talking luxury, but just oh, bought an Akia, fix it up, totally functional, mm-hmm. not luxury or anything like that. I'd say you know usually like nightly rentals are between thirty and sixty dollars. Something like that. I've seen cheaper. What's that? Per per month? Per night. Per Per night. Per night. If you're talking about about longer stays, honestly, Japan's pretty bad at bulk discounts. So just multiply that nightly price by however many nights you're there. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's not really too bad after fixing it all up. 30 bucks a night or 60, up to 60 bucks a night. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, quality does vary. So you do due diligence is a huge part of mm-hmm. either if you're an interested buyer or mm-hmm. you're somebody who is like, oh, I could stay at a hotel or I could go over to this weird place and, and mm-hmm. check that one out, right? Mm-hmm. There, there are ones that, again, are not good. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but yeah, generally speaking, I'd say sub 100 for sure um, mm-hmm. per night per person. I mean, not everybody is looking for that hotel experience a lot of people mm-hmm. want the cultural experience so um, yeah. to be out in the in the countryside and experience you know more of that um the actual culture and not so much the the westernized city approach right so um something like that that might be a good reason to um get involved in fixing it up and if if there's nothing yeah it's not- and I'm, absolutely and the um I don't even know how to say this, but the experiences that even for our our potential client, like our leads, we still work with them on, okay, you're not ready to kind of make the big jump, but you are curious about this and you just kind of don't know how to engage with whichever place that you're interested in. And so we do work with, um, we have kind of a nationwide network of, of, you know, farmers or architects or artists or kind of whatever, um, and really just kind of facilitate connection making. Right. And the experiences that people have um, getting out there and in far less. What's the right word? Um, spectacular, not in the sense of like big and fireworks and stuff, but like spectacle, like more more feet on the ground, grounded kind of normal person experiences. Mm-hmm. Man, it's it's almost like an addiction mm. that people get once they start doing it. Not to sound like a peddler, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Um, and it, but it's a positive thing, right? Because and especially during coronavirus, 
One of the huge reasons that people are interested in this is Tokyo is an incredibly densely populated mega city. It's like, it's what Tokyo and Mexico City, I think, are the world's two large, like they're gargantuan, right? Which has its merits for sure, but during a pandemic, it's not so great, right? And so people are getting out there, they're getting fresh air, greenery, uh, you know, rivers and, and all of this stuff, but also having, you know, markedly kind of modern 21st century experiences in that sort of natural environment, which I think is an excellent um, kind of combination. And I think people are just going to be dying to travel once they're able to travel again. But then there's also going to be this sort of, I don't really want the reluctance to be where there's too many people. Um, I think that's probably going to be there for a while. So traveling, but to somewhere that's probably a little bit more in the countryside where they can still have access to the water or fishing or, you know, right, right. The, the getaway. Um, uh, what did you say that cave or the mountaintop or something like that you yeah, were talking yeah. about something like that, right. Just to get away and still be able to travel. Well, I mean, like my, myself, I live I'm 45 minutes by bullet train from Shinagawa station in downtown Tokyo I have a surfboard here. I live near the beach, again, mountaintop uh, forests. I've got like a hobby farm that I go to on the weekends. I mean, I conduct most of my business here. Um, but yeah, it's 45 minutes out of the city. Like that's not, <laughs> that's not that. Yeah, I think you bad. have the kind of lifestyle that people are hoping to achieve. <laughs> yeah, and it's totally doable, right? Yeah. There's not, I mean, granted where I live in kind of Japan in general, there can be a you know, like a language barrier. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that, that where I am, um, which is near Atami uh, in Kanagawa, mm, little bit upper level, like if you don't speak Japanese, you might have a little bit difficulty here. That being said, um, if you go out to Fujino, uh, which is an excellent spot, uh, you should check out uh, Kasamatsu Farms, write that name down, uh, Byron, B-Y-R-O-N, and Kaori, uh, K-A-O-R-I, Negi, N-A-G-Y, run Kasamatsu Farm out in uh, Fujino, which is also in Kanagawa, but way north. Um, that's also, I think it's like an hour outside of Tokyo, and they do spectacular, like, any little kid who has ever wanted to build, like, not just one treehouse, but an entire <laughs> city of wow. interjecting, like, just awesome, awesome stuff. They're an excellent example um, over in Yamanashi, there's uh, Jake is doing excellent stuff with um, all, all of this is Aki related as well. So there are communities um, in rural Japan that are kind of more for, foreigner friendly or non-English or non-Japanese speaking friendly. Yeah. Um, but it is it's not everywhere. So mm -hmm. and again, this is something that we work with our clients on is determining, oh, OK, you're fluent in Japanese. Great. Not an issue. But mm -hmm. if you aren't, then we need to start working with the area that are maybe a little bit more uh, easy for well because to, to visit places like that you there's got to be some sort of activities um, especially if um, younger people are going there as well or they're going to be so bored I mean mm -hmm. there's only so much you can do in the countryside so you know you'd, you'd well, want I mean, to know what else you can do out there that's the that's actually kind of part of the narrative <laughs> the Tokyo narrative is that or the, okay. the metro mm -hmm. Right, is that mm -hmm. well, the city's got clubs and it's mm -hmm. got yeah. skyscrapers right. and mm -hmm. blah blah blah, and that's true. That's that's not false, right? Mm -hmm. 
totally true. Again, I'm a musician, man. Like I toured Japan, <laughs> play music in small club. Like I love that stuff. Right. Hey, Matt. And we were talking a little bit about land and the soil, possible contamination. Mm-hmm. Is it safe to build on um, soil? How how to get it tested and so forth. Now, I've got the opposite question. Can an investor benefit from land appreciation? Uh, you know, it's, it's possible. <laughs> uh, I would say it's very unlikely um, to the point that I would say don't even put that kind of in your list of expectations or anything. Um, I mean, the, the fact is, you know, Japanese land prices, rural or uh, uh, in the city, uh, urban, there we go, um, are, are pretty rock solid. Like they don't, they don't vary all that much. Of course, you know, structures are built on them and there, there's some factors to consider. But generally speaking, property prices, land prices uh, are pretty solid. But the, I mean, the thing is, what, like, um, again, that, that narrative that I, I mentioned about the, met- the metro area is the place to be, Tokyo is the place to be. It's such the case that, well, there's no reason to expect any kind of appreciation in rural areas because there isn't yet kind of anything or too much really going on there right now, right? Um, if you, I, I would say in probably, you know, if we're good in two or three years time, maybe, uh, we could start seeing that, but that is contingent upon development, business development, community development, narrative development, like all kinds of development going on in sort of, you know, non-standard uh, regions of Japan or elsewhere in the world, right? Um, but we're talking about Japan. So in Japan, prior to kind of having a reason to expect depreciation, well, why would you? <laughs> you know what I mean? But I think now we live in very unique times prior to the pandemic possibly land appreciation you know people moving out to the countryside to um to develop the communities for there to be land appreciation might have been one thing but we're looking at a different time now where people might be quite anxious to move out away from the cities and do you think that that could trigger land appreciation given the times we live in Absolutely. I, I merely think that, and I mean, the way that we function is very much in kind of systems thinking, right? And so, I mean, granted, we, have, we haven't, you know, we don't have a whiteboard that, you know, says like, oh, okay, step one, sell Akia, step two, question mark, step three, revolution or <laughs> renaissance or whatever. Um, but right now, what we're looking at is you're, you're correct in that people are anxious to leave the city. And in fact, one of the major factors in us deciding to pull the trigger on starting Akia Ninaka as an official entity what year was it? <laughs> I guess last year. Was that last year? Um, you know, having Zoom calls or various business meetings with people from various levels of, of industry, everybody just at some point in conversation would there was this sigh there would always be a sigh they'd stop talking and just go <sighs> right and say something along the lines of like i'm dissatisfied with my job i'm scared of living in the city 
be, you know, I want to do this, but I've got all these obligations, blah, 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 blah. Um, and that was the thing that really made me say, because I've been doing research in, in um, uh, Akia for two or three years and have been aware of it, but never really, it was just a hobby, right? And I started hearing people talk about this and I was like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> I think I have a solution for that. And that's kind of how we started. So certainly people are interested in it, right? Um, but there's a big difference between being interested and actually acting upon that interest. Um, and with something like moving out of the city, uh, just in general, but especially when, you know, I'm here to say that Aki are, they're viable, you can do them, but there's still this narrative around them that is kind of uncertain and risky, as it were. And so that's an even bigger kind of barrier to entry. Um, and so we're not expecting people to immediately just jump into rural life, abandon everything and, you know, go rural or, you know, wild or whatever. That's not going to happen for the most part. We don't have any clients that are doing that. Um, but what we are expecting, right, is people to start, you know, like putting their, testing the water, putting their, their toe in, what's the phrase I'm looking for, putting their toe in the water, um, right, and, and reasonable places outside of the city. And that's not eight hours outside of the city. That's probably, it's definitely less than two hours, right? And so once that starts building up, once that hits critical mass, then we can start seeing more jumping off points from there. But it's not the case that, you know, just some magic button is going to be pressed and people just immediately will leave Tokyo and, you know, they'll live in an abandoned house. Um, that's, it'd be cool if that happened, but I, I don't really expect it. People have gotten quite comfortable with um, working from home, teleworking. And part of that is that they are looking at not necessarily going back to the office, although many people are more comfortable with that. But a lot of people are also looking at finding that sort of midway point right. where they can share space um, and, um, and, and work without being in the heart of Tokyo, say. So do you think that that could be another use for some of these abandoned Absolutely. properties? Absolutely. And that's actually a really exciting point. Um, I can't speak for much more than the town that I live in. Uh, but something that's super interesting right now is uh, there are four cases of people picking up people who live in Tokyo. And I mean, what it's they're all mid-career women above 40 enterprising women above 40 japanese women above 40 who are purchasing akia with the specific intent to bring them into like teleworking remote working spaces right um which is just an awesome idea i i will say that you got to be careful about that connected internet connectivity make sure that works because if you don't have that it won't work um but people yeah. are uh, very much using Akia in for that purpose. For foreigners who are very much interested in exploring uh, Akia properties, whether for their own adventurous selves or to purchase them in order to for um, to run a, a short term rental business. Mm -hmm. I've heard that they can use Akia banks. Can right. you run through what that is? And, um, and is it something that you would recommend foreigners use? 
Well, I can't say I'd recommend it, but there really aren't any other resources out there. So you're, you're sort of stuck with them, unless you choose to work with us, of course. Um, so Akia banks are, I don't know, does that word sound funny to somebody who's not used to like Japanese English? Well, it's different for me, for me, and I don't speak Japanese. Right, right. Akia, that, like, what does Akia, Akia Banks, Banks mean to you? What does that make you think of? Well, I think Akia is Japanese, and then you got bank. So I think of a place where you can get financing for abandoned properties. That's what comes to my mind. Okay, interesting. Interesting. That is not what it is. <laughs> um, it's it's an in, it's a bank of information. It's a store of information. Um, and so Akia banks have nothing to do with financing. That being said, financing for Akia is possible. Uh, there are certain requirements that you have to meet, but you can do it, but I won't get into that here. Um, so Akia banks are, for lack of a better term, databases uh, that store information. They're, they're listings, they're real estate listings, really. Um, but they're, while they are incredibly well-intended, they are... <sighs> I don't think I've seen, I at least can't bring anything to mind that has been more poorly implemented than Akia banks. They are, and I, I say this lovingly because it's obviously like I'm in this business and stuff and I want things to work, but they need like 100% improvement. They're, they're terrible. Um, so they're, like I said, they're listings, um, but they're fragmented like you can't believe they're municipally administered, which means that every city that has an Akia bank, it's not the case that every city has one. It's that if a city wants one, then they can make one. Um, they're scattered to the wind. You know, city A will have, you know, data points one through 20. Uh, they'll have their own formatting and design. Uh, I, it's almost guaranteed that the URL will be, you know, miles long and completely unrememberable rememberable um and then the next city over will have a completely different system just as all of the other cities do uh and none of them communicate they're updated manually uh the photography and other media that is present on them if present at all uh is almost across the board uh triggers a gag reflex they're, it's just really bad document visual documentation um, and there's a lot of problems with them, right? And I, I do intend to be a little bit kind of, uh, I'm not over the top. It might sound like it, but really there's a lot of problems with them such that people, Japanese, oh, they're also entirely in Japanese. They do not have English versions. Um, they're, they're so poorly implemented that Japanese or not Japanese, or rather Japanese speaking or not Japanese speaking, it's very difficult to actually find something that you like. It's not at all hard to scroll through a bunch of PDFs and not understand anything and see some pictures of some gross houses. That's easy, right? But actually finding kind of the diamonds in the rough via Akia banks is outstandingly difficult. Um, and that's a big part, of, or at least the first step of the services that we provide our clients is that, you know, it's it's totally feasible and possible for you to say to yourself, okay, I want, you know, a two-story house that's more than 200 square meters and has two, there's a lot of twos in there, but you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> imagine what you want and then try to go out and find it. 
you can do that. That's not impossible. But you will be, you, you'll take days, if not longer, to actually do it. Uh, you'll be incredibly frustrated. You will not come across, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, the entire story of it. Because again, too, they might have 20 data points. It doesn't mean that they're all filled in. You might just say, you know, what type of, does it have plumbing? And then it will be a blank or something. So there's all kinds of problems associated with Akia Banks. Um, yeah, that's Akia Banks. <laughs> it sounds chaotic. Yes, it is very. The properties can be dilapidated. The, cop, the properties can be, they can have some stigma associated with it. For example, you know, um, dead bodies or something like that. Um, but yet these properties are appealing. What is it that appeals to foreigners about these properties? Well, I mean, it, it's really the, um, it's, it's the articles that have been coming out for like six years now, right? Uh, about, you know, oh my God, free houses and all that stuff. And occasionally there are, you know, really good success stories. I mean, we've got some, uh, but what, there was one in CNN like a year ago, uh, our friends, Cowdy and Byron Nagy up in um, Tujino uh, at Kasamastu Farms have been getting a lot of media attention recently. Um, you actually might want to reach out to them. They're excellent, excellent people doing really cool stuff. Um, but yeah, there's, there's these articles that are kind of, I mean, they're very clickbaity, but they're, it's not that they're not true. It's just, they don't really tell the backstory. They just say, holy shit, like these people picked up a house for $10,000 and turned it into this awesome thing. You should do that too. And then they don't give you the resources to do it. Right. So that's an enticing story, but if you don't have, again, the resources to do it, then you're not going to do it. Right. And so people see these stories and say, that sounds neat. I like that idea. I want to do that. And then they go to an Akia bank and say, ah, what is this? And then they stop and don't do anything. Right. So is it difficult to, let's say you don't have, let's say somebody wants to, to purchase one of these houses and rebuild from scratch. Do they need to have those skills or is it easy enough to um, go through that whole construction process and work with the builders and so forth in Japan? Uh, I know both cases. I'd say actually with Akia, it's probably more common that people are taking a, a kind of a DIY approach to it. Mm -hmm. It's not to say that it's, it's, I mean, if it's a majority, it's like a minor majority. Um, but, you know, working with, Contractors is certainly sort of the standard of either building a new property or renovating something. Um, you do need to be careful. We also work with our clients to vet uh, kind of, you know, landscapers or roofing or, you know, basically anything that goes into it. Just like anywhere, you got to know, you know, what KYC or KY, it's still KYC, just know your contractor, not customer. <laughs> um, On, I mean, it totally depends on which contractor you go with. We try to, we try very hard to get our clients working with contractors that do not have uh, kind of a exceedingly bureaucratic approach to things. Um, there's also project management, communication is of course 
of the utmost importance with any kind of expensive or long-term project. Um, so you can kind of go either way. Uh, we're there to advise our clients as well on this sort of thing. So it's, whichever way you choose to go, it's totally doable. You just got to know how to do it right. And we talked about there's vacant homes, there's abandoned homes, semi-abandoned homes. There's so many different types to so many different options, rather, um, and choices. So how does a foreigner know what's best for them? That's, that's part of the fun of the work that we do, actually. Um, a, lot of, a lot of people, not all, but you know, enough that I'll say a lot, um, will come to us really with kind of nothing in mind. They just, they like the idea, but they don't, they don't have sufficient information about the entire Akia environment such that they can imagine kind of a specific, oh, okay, this is what I wanted. They just say, ah, this is neat and I'm curious, what can we do sort of thing? And so we work with a number of clients on actually just sitting, sitting them down and saying, okay, do you have kids? <laughs> do you need multiple bedrooms? What about bathrooms? How far out of the city? What's your budget like? Do you want to repair it yourself? I mean, there's just, you know, kind of developing the profile of a, uh, kind of like the target profile, target property profile with clients is something that we do do. It's not all the time, but that's definitely something that can and, and is done. I, I think the thing that hits me most is that there's a lot of chaos. Mm. The Akia banks are in Japanese and therefore it's not something that is accessible to foreigners, except for the pictures. They can go through the pictures. Yet in the midst of all this, it's still really appealing. Mm. And is that because people are just dying to get away from the city? And this is a shift we're seeing, like a new movement? Right. Or is this something that's been happening all along? Um, and then that takes me to, is this something, do you see value in this? Do you see value in the properties, not just land appreciation, but is this something that is going to take off in terms of um, just a whole new, new type of living? Yeah, that's, that's really kind of the crux of our... I guess, angle of attack on this is, I mean, yeah, we, we're a real estate company. Okay, great. Like, what does that mean? Oh, we have buildings. Please buy one, right? <laughs> at, at the core of it. But I mean, really, this is actually a lot of how I think about music as well, is that the band on stage is kind of the seed. That's the kernel of the experience that happens at the concert. And that's, you know, going to the bar and meeting the band or, you know, having dinner with some after parties and all this other stuff, right? And in the same way, the Akia itself is the kernel of a lifestyle experience, or the kernel of a lifestyle, right? And the experiences that accompany that, right? And so working with clients, you know, we're not just saying, or we're not just working with them to find something that looks cool, and specifically a building that looks cool and has the accoutrements that they're curious and interested in. Of course, we do that. But on top of that, you know, we make it our business to find communities and regions and neighborhoods that for whatever reason click with their personal kind of their personality their character right um and that's something that if i mean if you don't do that then i really 
minus that, I don't see much of a future um, for Akia, right? If you don't make them, basically, if you don't have that emotional attachment to kind of connectivity and humanity and stuff, it's going to be a lot more difficult. But the fact is, you know, in rural areas in Japan and elsewhere, um, there are merits to the one of which is just health. Even before Corona, health. Now it's even better because you're not, you know, wading through throngs of people and stuff. But I mean, I myself lost, I think it was like 10 kilograms once I moved out of Tokyo into just like a lot of weight. I didn't know that I was, I had that much to lose, but apparently I did. Um, and that's not even, it's not like I'm even going to the gym a lot. It's just, oh, I walk more and I eat and I cook a lot more for myself and I don't go to convenience stores. And, you know, there's a number of environmental factors that, that come into play. Um, but the health benefits, the greenery, the fresh air, the fact that you're not, you know, surrounded by a bunch of people who might be infected with a global pandemic that could kill you, uh, this, that, and the other thing are huge benefits to it. Um, there's also, big cities tend to be a little bit alienated. As much as I love Tokyo and I love New York and Seattle and like all the places that I've lived, uh, they can be alienated quite a bit. Um, and rural communities do tend to, they, it's not the case that they always do, but they tend to be a kind of more sort of inclusive and well communal, I guess. Um, so there's that. There's strangely enough, outside of Tokyo, internet speeds are faster because there's far less throughput. Um, and so you actually get better performance operating outside of the city than you do in. Um, and so there's a whole lot of things that go into making uh, kind of rural experiences and rural lifestyles uh, the, the kind of the focus of where Akia are heading. If we're just talking about, oh, cool, you're renovating an abandoned house. I don't care about anything around it. Ugh, that's, that really doesn't have much of a future, but it's, it's the people and the experiences that they have with the others around them because of the Akia that they have and have renovated or live in. That's the thing that I think is, is a very enticing, very encouraging and promising uh, development that we're looking to further help along its way. What is there to do in the countryside? I mean, that's what they would say in, in Tokyo. They would say, why would anybody want to move to the to the countryside? But it's, it is a different kind of a lifestyle. And so what is that lifestyle? What would what would a person do? Um, is well, it a place me, for young people? Is it a place for children? Is it a place who would be best suited for uh, the, the countryside properties? Right. Let me start off by saying... Uh, it's not a it's not a binary thing. It's okay. I, I, again, I, I live like forty five minutes from Tokyo. I can totally go party or whatever, pretty much whenever I want. I might. I kind of got to keep my eye on the train schedule because last train and everything. But aside from that, and I'm in Tokyo two or three times a week anyway. So it's not that. And I do live like this is totally qualified as countryside, but it's not that I'm completely cut off from the metro experience like it's basically right in front of me um so that being said there there is a i mean it does depend on where you are i suppose but there is a bit of a make your own fun kind of element um i've got well what i've got a hobby farm uh i've got like i've i have 20 chickens and three goats now like i never (laughs) I never imagined that I would be like a goat collector. <laughs> Might be the name. I'm not a farmer. Like, what's that? 
Sounds like the name of your new band. Yeah, right. It easily could be. Um, and so, yeah, on a hobby farm that I just kind of, and that's great exercise. And it's just, you know, sort of not because I'm in Japan, it's kind of a Zen thing. I'm just like, all right, I'm digging a hole. Okay, this is good. Um, do that. I've got a surfboard. I live right near the beach. So there's that. Uh, I mean, I am, I do work a lot. I do a lot of video and music production as well. So it's not like I'm just some Luddite <laughs> as completely disconnected from the world and whatnot. No, not at all. Um, so, I mean, I've got drones, I've got multiple cameras, I've got, you know, a whole slew of production equipment that I use both for professional purposes and business purposes, as well as just a bunch of fun stuff, stupid stuff mostly, but it's still fun. Um, that being said, you know, again, going back to the kind of the narrative, it is the case that Tokyo skews far younger than rural areas. And that's because they've, for the last at least two decades, if not more, have just been migrating. That's what you do. You go to Tokyo. If you don't live there, you go there. Um, and so it is, it is quieter, for sure. Unless I'm putting on an event, a music event, and then because nobody lives here, I can just crank the, the volume up on whatever, and nobody hears it because there's nobody there too. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of a balance. I would say that somebody, um, I don't want to say that. I know that there are people who are just very very much entrenched in city life and can't do without it. And so if that's that type of person, it'll, it'll be a bit more challenging, I think. Um, but for, I mean, by and large, most of the people that both of my personal friends groups, as well as business groups, I don't really know that many people who are particularly against it. In fact, I mean, we're, there's a reason we're a business too, is that more and more people are coming at us about it. So there is interest in yeah, kind of right. augmenting it's, it's more an augmentation is kind of how I think of it. It's an expansion of your horizons. It's not saying I'm getting rid of the city and going to be a farmer. It's saying, oh, no, like, I want the city. Which is one of my favorite things, right? And or goats <laughs> or, or whatever. Right? You can add to your city experience. It's, it's an add. It's an add on, not a detraction from subtraction from. I'm sure you have um, piqued the interest of many of our listeners now. With the goats? How can they? People, it's those goats. Love, the goats did it. And they're babies. There's two babies. Baby goats right? are the best. Oh, my God. They are <laughs> They're crazy. They're, it's like they're psychic. They know exactly what you don't want them to do. <laughs> but boy, are they cute. <laughs> How can our listeners reach you, Matt? What's the best way? Um, we're kind of all over the place, but our website, all over the place in a good way, not like scattered. Um, our website is akiainaka.com. That's A-K-I-Y-A-I-N-A-K-A.com. Um, our Instagram, our YouTube channel is a lot of fun. There's uh, uh, Akia Walkthroughs. Um, a video that you can watch. We've got kind of a fledgling series called the Akia Hunter, uh, which is kind of like that, um, what is it, Parts Unknown, the Anthony Bourdain show, except instead of just food, it's abandoned houses in Japan. Um, but it's, it's that kind of thing. We've got 10 episodes. We're still figuring out the kinks, but it's fun. Um, Twitter, 
don't really use that one that much, but we've got it. Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, the whole deal. Um, you can feel free to reach out to me on personal accounts as well, Facebook and LinkedIn and whatnot. Um, always happy to talk. And I mean, even if you're not interested in buying either in the near future or ever, um, again, a, kind of a big part of our, I guess, contribution. That sounds a little bit self-aggrandizing, but one thing that we really wish to affect uh, in the general discourse is really educating people about the, the nuances and the variety of experiences and opportunities that are available with Akia and Inaka. Because right now, as, as we've been talking about, a lot of that narrative is, you know, it's either a complete dumpster fire and just awful, and why would you ever think of doing that? Or you're in Tokyo and super successful, right? Um, and that's not the case. So, you know, even if you don't want to buy it, like, we're happy to talk about, I mean, kind of like what we're talking, how we've been talking. And that's something that we really wish to contribute to in the general um, sort of, I guess, understanding of what is going on with vacant houses in rural Japan. It's, it's, I think it's very important, but also just immensely interesting and kind of cool and quirky and wacky <laughs> kind of thing. So feel free to reach out um, regardless. Thanks, Matt. It's been very insightful. And um, thank you for taking us to places where no one has gone before <laughs> i've only shown you so much there's so much more <laughs> thank you though. that was matt ketchum co-founder of akia and inaka we will link matt's contact information in our show notes from nti this is pretty donnelly thank you for tuning in there you go, Matt Ketchum and our very own Pretty Donnelly. Now, if you're interested in this topic, Matt's a regular panel member in our Wednesday Japan Real Estate Room on Clubhouse. So feel free to drop in and ask anything that you want to or just tune into the conversation. There's always someone in the audience who wants to discuss the topic of abandoned homes. And Matt, as you can probably tell from the interview, is always happy to talk shop, like all of us on the panel, including also myself, Tracy Northcott, the Minpaku or uh, Airbnb short-term stay queen, and Emil Gorgis, the Tokyo Family Home and Mortgage Master. So we'd love to have you with us. And if you still don't have a Clubhouse membership, hit us up in the comments section of wherever you might have found this episode. Or just email us on info at nippontradings.com. That's info at mark, N-I-P-P-O-N, tradings, with an S, all one word, info at nippontradings.com. And we'll hook you up with a Clubhouse invite. Now, before we go, we're also, as always, going to tell you and also link to our other sponsor's website. That's Hiroshi Shimizu, immigration lawyer and administrative scrivener. If you're thinking about moving here on a more permanent basis or you are already in Japan on some sort of a more temporary visa and you want to switch to a longer term or permanent one, and also if you're considering setting up a local company or branch office of a foreign company and you've got any sort of business or visa-related inquiry, or even if you just want to find out what your options are on any of these topics, feel free to contact Hiroshi Shimizu. You can find him at japanimmigrationexperts.com, and he can help you set up a company, apply for any kind of visa, or just provide you with the best advice and extremely affordable consultation related to these topics. And he's already done that for many of our listeners and our clients. So feel free to reach out to him. Again, that's japanimmigrationexperts.com, all one word, and you'll be well on your way. 
And that's it from us for today, folks. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Real Estate Podcast. Do share it with your networks and please let us know what you think. So leave us a short rating review on the iTunes Store, on Spotify, wherever you're tuning in from. Or just drop us a line in the comments section or wherever you might have found this episode. We love hearing from you. Hope to have you with us again next time. And until then, have a great day or night ahead. Yoshiku. Yoshiku.